This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. There's an interesting activity that goes on when you're dealing with public transit. It is finding out what your ridership is and then making sure that you have enough service to cover that ridership. And ridership could grow and you could add service and then it could come back. And then you have to think, okay, do we keep the service? Is it, is this just a strange thing that's happening? Do we keep, do we, do we put in more service even? Do we change where routes are going? This is something that would have most of us dizzy if we tried to stand up and follow it all happen. Tonight, there is a meeting that will go over future plans for London Transit. And joining us right now is the chair of the London Transit Commission, Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. Councillor Squire, how are you? You just made me dizzy. Yeah, I'm feeling dizzy too. I'm, I'm, I'm making sure though. I sit down over this, but it, it yeah. is kind of like that. I mean, it, it can be dizzying. Yeah, well, this is COVID, and this is the new world that we're in. And, you know, when you look at transit, first of all, we've been we've been uh, hit really hard by COVID. You know, first we had to shut down for a while. Then once we got the barriers in to protect our drivers, we, we could reinstitute the service. But we're really operating at very low levels. You know, we were around the 30 percent sort of level, um, particularly in the area of students, because as you can appreciate, Western students, Fanshawe students are big riders of public transportation, and a lot of them aren't going to university so what we're experiencing is a is a is a loss of ridership that's very serious and costs us money so far the the provincial government has made up those shortfalls but we have to start looking to the future whether you know whether any whether we like it or not and i think it's important we do so really what we're going to be talking about is is two things what's the best way to move forward and the proposal is to to take the routes that are good successful routes that are working increase the frequency on them so you don't wait 60 minutes for a bus you wait you know something shorter than that 20 minutes 30 minutes and hope that 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 concentration on that is going to increase the ridership but when people say to me well how when do you think ridership's going to get back to normal well what what is the new normal we don't even know what the new normal is going to be uh for public transportation we do know that people continue to need it to get to work we know that people want it in more industrial areas where they go to work, but it is an expensive proposition to be running transit at, at these kind of capacities. So it is a challenge, and uh, we've got to deal with it. Councillor Squire, you have said that right now you're, you're operating at about 30% ridership. What right. would we peg service at? How much service is operating? We went back to 80% service. So there's a big gap there. You know, I and think there was a big sorry, gap before. I'm thinking, yeah. So that's a huge gap. That's a, like a 50 percent difference between between our service level and our ridership. So what do we do? And the question is, moving right now, we're 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 uh, available to us is funding from the province, and and so we're fine through the through sort of the end of February in terms of that funding. Um, but what happens after that? You know, um, that's the real challenge for me. And I have to face that challenge also as a city councillor, because if the province doesn't come up with money, I expect they will. Uh, they, they've said they, they want to help us through this. But what does the city do? You know, we only have so much money at the city in terms of, uh, of revenue. People aren't happy about increased taxes, which, which went through the budget. So how do we fund this uh, as a city? I think that's the biggest challenge. Where do we? Where is our money going to go 
Um, and that's the second part that I think is a bigger discussion that we have to have as a city. Where do we want our money to go right now as we move, move into a recovery period, hopefully in the summer from COVID? We're talking with Ward 6 Councillor and the Chair of the London Transit Commission, Phil Squire. If you're looking at increasing frequency for some of the routes, does that add more service? It would seem to make sense that the more buses ran, the more service there was. Right. So we're, we're, it's, it's really what we're looking at is rather than expanding, the, we are expanding the service, no question about that. But the question I have as a city councillor is, what does that mean? And it means money. Let's, let's be frank here. If you're going to increase the service in terms of buses on routes, it's going to cost us more money. So where is that money going to come from? And the report tonight says, well, we're, we're going to go to the city for what's called assessment growth. In other words, money, uh, money that's coming from, uh, from increased taxation. In other words, increased people paying taxes. Not the rate, but, but the number of people. But is that the answer? And that's where it's difficult for, for someone like me, who's a councillor and on the London Transit Commission. I can't just sit here and say, oh, yeah, let's spend more money um, on transit unless we see the ridership results. It's a chicken or egg sort of thing. Do you, do you increase service to get more riders or do you not do that? Um, will the riders come back without that? So this is the same as everything in COVID. It's, it's a really, really uncertain future. And uh, we got to be really careful in what we do. And in doing that, I mean, you're still dealing with not knowing when the date is, when you may even have people being called back to work. Do you try and put dates down to say, okay, this is what we'll do for now. Let's review it very quickly, maybe more quickly than before? Yeah, we do that. But, I mean, we, we try to set firm dates. And as everybody knows during COVID, the, the, the firm date on when something will, will return to, quote, normal is, is not a certain date. And we don't even know what normal will be. Will we come out of the situation with a lot more people working at home so they don't need it? They're not going to use transit as much? Is that going to be the case? There's a lot of people talking about that uh, happening. So for me, I think the real situation is we can, we can try to do better. We can try to deliver more service on current routes. But at the end of the day, it has to make some economic sense. And that's what I'm going to be very careful about as a counselor, before I, I approve more money to the LTC, I can't just say, yep, we'll give you more money for this, uh, this experiment. I, I just I have difficulty doing that because we really don't know where we are right now. Can we as a city in terms of, you know, right now, sure, there is federal money, there is provincial money, but yep. there's no guarantee that that keeps coming in, even though they've talked about expanding it. We still need the, hey, guess what? Here's the thumbs up. And we haven't really had that yet. So do you look at it and say from the city's perspective, because you're wearing a couple of hats here from yeah. the city's perspective, hey, we can't do the 80-30 much longer here with this. We've got to make some drastic decisions, or do you still try and go even if it is 80-30 for some time into the future? Yeah, you can't do it. Let me, let me be clear. You cannot do it without provincial or federal money. It just That cannot happen. That loss in ridership and continuing to run the service, because uh, we know that those numbers don't match. We will lose money. The only way we can do it is to get provincial and federal money. Now, every single municipality you will hear saying the same thing. This is not this is not a London problem. This is a province-wide problem. So if you look at our numbers and, and what it costs us in terms of lost revenue, Toronto's many multiples of that. So all of the large municipalities in Ontario have been put in a position where the province wants us to continue, continue transit, and they're prepared to, to fund that. But 
like anybody, I, I have the question, how long can we do that? How long can the province do that? And if there comes a time where the province says, you know what, you're not going to get any money beyond this date, be it June or whatever, uh, then we got a big problem. All municipalities have a big problem with all of their services. Well, Councillor Squire, it's it's an imperfect situation. The entire pandemic has been exactly that. Okay. And uh, thank you for helping us to make sense of that imperfection and where things sit going forward. Oh, it's great to be with you. We'll talk soon. Okay, take care. Bye. Ward 6 Councillor Phil Squire. So what, what you need to do in everything in a pandemic is put yourself in the shoes of the people who are having to deal with what is going on. And Councillor Squire just said it very bluntly, without provincial or federal money, you can't keep doing this because you just you can't keep having 80 percent service as it stands now and 30 percent ridership. You can't do it. And that's even counting when you look at post-secondary. If you go to Fanshawe College as a full time student, if you go to Western University as a full time student, it is built into your student fees that you pay for a bus pass. And then you can use that. So there are contracts that exist that are guaranteeing some service. But even that's not enough when you've got a discrepancy of 80% service and 30% ridership. And when and how does that change? And how do you change routes? So there is a lot to talk about. If you're going to increase the frequency of routes, you're almost looking at increasing the frequency of service. And then does that leave parts of the city as outliers? And we we don't have as many outliers as we used to, that's for sure. But there can be outliers where you can't get there from here kind of thing. And then, well, what do people in those areas do? So imperfect situation to say the least. And we'll see what does come out of tonight's meeting. We'll try and revisit this tomorrow and see... We know what's going to be presented, but we'll see if anything different comes up in the biz. We'll make sure and let you know. Today is a very important day. When we look back to the Great Wars, and in today's case, the Second World War, there are a lot of stories that need to be told. And this is why we really enjoy our relationship with the Dominion Project and with what they have done in helping to tell the stories of veterans when it comes to fighting in World War I, World War II, when it comes to fighting in the Korean War. It's, it's something that, fortunately, we have more as stories today than we do as anything else. And for young kids, it's important to hear those stories. Today is a really important day because today is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And that's a story that needs to be told to this generation, who we would call young, to the next generations that follow them. Because this is a story that the world should focus on. And it's happening today. It should happen more than just one day, as, as a lot of these particular, whether they are events in the past or, or things that we can learn from, we should spend more than one day. But it's important to take note today. Joining us right now is London Rabbi, Rabbi Laser, And we really appreciate you taking some time 
to speak with us. How are things going? Things are going as well as can be under the circumstances. Thanks for asking, and thank God. Well, we're, we'll get through the circumstances that we are in, but we have an opportunity to look back in history at an absolute atrocity, an atrocity that cost us over 6,000 lives. The importance of telling this story, Rabbi, how often do you think that comes up in the Jewish community? Well, we do have more than one day. I appreciate what you said earlier. We have today, which is established by the United Nations back in 2005. In the spring, we have Yom HaShoah, the day of the Holocaust that has been established by the State of Israel back in 1945. And then we also have Holocaust Remembrance Week in November, which coincides with the Kristallnacht event. So it comes up many times over the course of the year. But I'd like to share my thoughts, my opinions. Number one, let me say I accept the honor of representing the Jewish community because I serve as a rabbi here in London. But personally, my family was from Russia, not from the areas of Europe that were decimated and devastated by the Holocaust. So I want to honor today the survivors and the children and grandchildren of survivors for whom the Holocaust took a great toll on their family and continues to impact the way they feel about life and their perceptions of things even today. Having said that, let me share my thoughts about this. I think often the Holocaust is used as a political tool, as a bludgeon, to, to bludgeon people into submission and say, goodness gracious, you are behaving as horrifically as the Nazis. And I think that is a diminution and a demeaning of the memory of the Holocaust victims. I think primarily what we want on a day like this is deep reflection about the sanctity of human life and to celebrate the life of the people who were murderously and cruelly killed. Today, something really special occurred, and I just saw some, a clip of it that was sent around on social media that really highlights what I'm talking about. There was, I believe for the first time, an international Holocaust Remembrance Zoom call between Holocaust survivors in Israel and lots of members in Arab states, and I'm not just talking about Bahrain and the UAE, which were official um, participants in this call, as far as I could tell. Remember, I only saw a clip. But there were also um, participants from Syria, from Saudi Arabia, many of whom had said they learned about the Holocaust for the very first time only recently. It's an event that either wasn't told in many countries or it's an event that has been flatly denied in places like Iran. And the power of this day is to help us reconnect and to help us feel and cherish the sanctity of human life so that we stop demonizing one another for opinions we don't agree. Granted, there will always be people with demonic opinions, and those are the exception. But in today's age of terribly divisive political discourse, We've come to define everyone we don't agree with as demonic and as bad, almost as bad as Nazism. There have been labels such as Nazism used only recently in the American arena of politics. And we want to get away from that. We want to celebrate every human life. We want to cherish them. We want to preserve our safety and security. And for that, we need to protect ourselves against the fringe elements. But not everyone belongs in the fringe. And on a day like this, we need to broaden our tent, and we need to welcome people whose opinions we don't like, but whose person we can still embrace. 
Rabbi Lazer Gerkow joining us as we talk about this being the International Holocaust Remembrance Day. That's, that's such a, a powerful thing to think of. Rabbi Lazer, for some people it would not be easy. It would not be easy to invite in the thoughts and the sentiments of someone that you defiantly disagree with. How would people start? What do, what do you see as being the first step? When I travel around the world, or at least pre-corona days, and lecture on tolerance, my first message to them is the message that I learned at the hands of my mentor, who was Rabbi Schneerson, the Lubavitcher Rebbe of blessed memory. He always taught us that you disagree with opinions, you don't disagree with people. And that means that, Mike, you and I can have very different opinions on a slew of topics, and yet I can have you over for a barbecue and we can really enjoy a wonderful greeting and time together. We can enjoy each other's company. We can get to know each other as people and then set the difference of opinion aside, not that we avoid it and don't discuss it, but we discuss it objectively as a matter of opinion. We tend to personalize our disagreements way too much. I'll tell you something. People come to my home, again, pre-corona, for, say, lunch on Saturday or dinner on Friday night. For us, it's the Sabbath, and I'm an Orthodox rabbi. I don't drive my car during the Sabbath. They'll come with the car, and then they'll say to me, I, is, I am sorry for driving my car. I hope you forgive me. And I always tell them, I don't take it personally. That's between you and God. I, I hope you take it up with God, but as far as I'm concerned, that is your choice. And my role here is to embrace you. And we're going to spend two lovely hours together over dinner and celebrate the Sabbath, how you came and how you'll go. That hopefully will be influenced by the two hours we spend together. But I'm not going to demonize you for something that has nothing to do, to, to do with me. It's a difference of opinion. It's not a difference of people. So if we can remember that in our discourse, in our disagreement, and try to remember, we're just discussing an opinion. We don't have to take offense that somebody disagrees with us. And we can separate the opinion from the person. Then we'll go a long ways towards cherishing what really is holy and special about life. And one way to define it for ourselves is, if this person holds an opinion I vehemently disagree with, does that mean that I don't cherish and value this person's life? Should I find out that he walked out on the street and got bit by a car and died? Should I not feel bad? Should I celebrate the fact that some other opinion who I disagreed with is now snuffed out? Of course I wouldn't do that. So really, I don't disagree with the person. I disagree with the opinion. The six million Jews who were killed in the Holocaust all had all kinds of opinions that everyone who mourns them today does, does, don't necessarily agree with. But we mourn them anyway, because it's the person and the life. It's not the opinion and the idea. We need to get back to a place where we can embrace each other and we can have open discussions about our disagreements without needing to personalize them. A great way to look at it. Rabbi Lazer Gerkow joining us. Rabbi Lazer, you mentioned earlier Yom HaShoah as a time for Jewish people to recognize what happened in the Holocaust. How do you expect that to be affected this year, considering we are still in the middle of this COVID-19 pandemic? So last year, it was fairly new. It was just about a month after we entered the pandemic. We were still in the severe lockdown as we are now. And uh, we still didn't have our act fully together. But by now, 
I'm sure all faith communities and all cultural and ethnic communities have already figured out their patterns. And I am sure that plans are underway, though I haven't been briefed on them yet, to organize a community-wide event via Zoom or something like that. I mean, we'll wait and see what type of restrictions are still in place. But my sense of it has been in this community that we have always been a little more conservative than government regulations. When the government allowed 100 people to gather, we gathered maybe with 30 or 40. When the government allows 25, for us it might be 10. So for the most part, I have a feeling that it's most likely going to be on Zoom this year. Right. You talk about gatherings and and services. If you look at holding Orthodox services, what sorts of challenges are you dealing with even right now? Well, I'll tell you that it's wonderful that the government has allowed a a maximum of 10 people at, at churches and synagogues and mosques, because for us, the minimum quorum for holding a public service is 10. Uh, It's challenging that more than 10 cannot come. But on the other hand, as I said before, in our community, the experience has been that people don't want to come out. So the fact that 10 are permitted is more than enough for the most part. I'll share with you that my synagogue, Congregation Bethsaida, has been closed since, uh, what is it now, late December because uh, once we've gone into the red zone, our congregation decided to back down and to close the synagogue even before it was mandated. So even though we are allowed to gather with a, with a maximum of 10, as of now, we haven't yet done it. We might decide to do that because the numbers are improving in London, but that hasn't yet been decided. Well, Rabbi Lazer, thank you so much for the words that you have given us today. And I love the idea of disagree with opinions, but let's stop disagreeing with people. <laughs> Wouldn't Mike, that go a I long way to helping us out these that? days? Mike, can I say one more thing on that? Absolutely. I know that in, in your line of work, it's important to bring up disagreements because that's how you get people to listen, and that's how you, that, that's how you arouse curiosity and interest, and it becomes entertaining and stimulating. What I want to say is that too often, our, under, our sense of tolerance is don't disagree with someone else's opinion, tolerate their point of view, and just simply let them have their say and don't, and don't say anything in response. What you do every day is bring up differences and you provoke discussion. And that's what I think we need to have. Tolerance doesn't mean don't disagree. Tolerance means learn to disagree with opinions, but not with the people who hold them. Rabbi Laser, thank you. This this has been wonderful on a day when we are looking at an event in history that is the opposite of wonderful. And you always have a way of doing that. It is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And thank you for giving us what you have today, Rabbi Laser. All the best and please keep safe. Thank you for having me. You keep safe too. Rabbi Laser Gurkow joining us as we begin London Live. And that's, that, that is what talk radio is for. It is for perspectives and opinions and information. But this sentiment keeps coming up, doesn't it? We talked about how in Africa it's looked at that you're not siding with someone in an argument. You are understanding what they're saying. It's not about, oh, no, I like your argument better than your argument. It's what is being said. Do you understand what is being said? 
That's it's such a key. We're not good at it in North America. We're not good at it at all. And that's something we've got to improve on. January 27th, it is International Holocaust Remembrance Day. And it remembers 6 million Jewish people and 11 million others who were killed by the Nazi regime and anybody who helped out the Nazi regime. And it's one of those days when we should look, as Rabbi Lazer told us earlier on London Live, and say, all right, let's, let's look at how we're treating each other. Let's look at the fact that we can easily have differing opinions, but you don't have to dislike somebody personally for disliking their opinion. And those are really powerful words right now. That's a really powerful sentiment right now. And there are a number of things that go on around the world. One thing that has been happening more and more is individuals who have a familial connection to the Holocaust have been looking for their family members, and there are more and more things available. There right now is a memorial museum, encyclopedia of camps and ghettos, and there is the Holocaust Survivors and Remembrance Project that is titled Forget You Not, and these are very helpful in allowing people to learn about their own family's history or certainly find family members who may have been killed during World War II as part of the Holocaust. Well, tonight, Jewish London has an event that is happening, and it's happening virtually, but we have an opportunity to find out more about it because we get to talk with Eric Robinson, the program director at Jewish London. And, Eric, as we said earlier in the show and we talked about earlier in the show, International Day of Holocaust Remembrance is something that, that is recognized around the world, needs to be talked about around the world so that we understand what took place. Can you talk to us a little bit about how it's observed in, in the Jewish community and the Jewish faith? Um, well, we don't really see this particular occasion as a faith-based holiday or observance. It's more um, something that we need to recognize globally, as, as you said. And um, as a community, we make an effort to um, educate both ourselves and, and to reach out to um, members of um, the wider community as well. And, and today we're, we're showing a film called The Rescue, which tells um, a wonderful, uplifting story about the power of one person to make a difference. Well, let's... Talk about that. First off, you're going to be showing this for anybody who wants to come and see it? Yes, we're showing it in um, conjunction with the Student Council at Huron College and, and the Ju Huron College Jewish Studies Department. And everybody in the London and area community is welcome to attend. And um, it tells the story of an El Salvadorian um, diplomat in general. His name was Jose Castellanos, who was... Um, stationed in in europe during world war ii and he took some remarkable actions to um to save jews and others discriminated against against the nazis and, and save thousands of lives boy that's an a, a story that we don't know too much about the connection of el salvador to the holocaust yes um when i learned of the story too um it was something i knew very little 
about, but um, in fact, um, General Castellanos um, had worked for the El Salvadorian government for years and years. He had actually stood up against discrimination in his own country against indigenous peoples and um, was on the outs with the government for a number of years, but but later was in their good graces stationed in Europe. And um, the same feelings of sticking up for others that were um, in peril um, lasted throughout his career, and he took this step in Europe. It's really a remarkable story uh, for someone so disconnected from European politics, perhaps, and um, and from the Jewish community to make such a difference. Just goes to show that you don't have to be right next to something in order to have an impact on it. No, it's just a shared humanity. And um, it, it turns out that his grandsons are, are Canadians and, and they're musicians of note, Boris and Alvaro Castellanos. And, and they're the ones who produce this film. And because they're musicians, they've, um, they've made this incredible film concerto that's interspersed um, between the story itself is music based on the cities in which parts of the story are set. So um, they're extremely talented. It's a, it's a unique film. I encourage everyone who has a chance to watch it, both for the message and for the music. We're talking right now with Eric Robinson, who is the director of programming with Jewish London. And we're looking at what they are doing today to recognize this being International Holocaust Remembrance Day. Now, given that we are in a pandemic, this isn't just, hey, show up and come to the movie. What's the best way for people to let you know so that you can go through all the proper protocols for the pandemic? Sure, this is not an in-person event as we would have if the pandemic wasn't happening. It, it's an online event via Zoom, and if folks want the link, they can um, email me at eric, E-R-I-C, at jewishlondon.ca, and happy to share the link with, with any and all comers. Um, we, we've got space. Um, there are hundreds of people already signed up to watch, but, but we've got room for more, so, so we'd encourage everyone um, of all faiths, um, to, to enjoy this wonderful music and, and the story as well. Eric, in, in having conversations about the Holocaust, it's something that has been there your entire life. What are those conversations like? Yeah, um, you know, it, it, it's weird to mix the um, personal and, and the academic as somewhat of a history buff and someone who studied history at university, um, you know, making sense uh, uh of the Holocaust has always been difficult. And then as someone who's, um, you know, as a Jewish person myself and, and working for, for the Jewish community, you know, translating all this into meaningful um, conclusions, it's hard to even say lessons from something so unexplainable, you know, it is a challenge that, that not only I face, but, but Jewish professionals across um, the world and, and Jewish people um, is something that we all wrestle with and, and the rest of the world has to as, as well. You know, how did, how did we, we get to that stage as human beings and what do we do to ensure that that never happens again? Absolutely. So many lessons to be learned. Eric, we really appreciate you telling us about tonight and what you have put together. And again, the email address, and we have that in studio here, but if you'd like to give it one more time for anybody who would like to register. Sure. It's eric, E-R-I-C, at jewishlondon.ca. And what time is it happening? It's at 7 p.m. this evening. Fantastic. Eric, thank you so much for the time today. Thank you. Eric Robinson, 
Director of Programs at Jewish London. So 7 o'clock tonight. And a fascinating story that will enlighten you on a connection you may not have known existed. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3. 